Hello and welcome to Funny Business, the best podcast on the internet, in the world, wherever you listen to it. I'm Lockie Bradford. And I'm Robbie Hicks. On today's episode, we have the main man, Josh Wilson, founder and CEO of Together AI. And I feel like we said this to Josh straight after chat, but these are the type of podcasts that the reason that we started the pod in the first place, to have conversations like this, to have open, authentic convos about how people make things happen, the challenges along the way, and things aren't always easy. Oh man, we met at Startmate Demo Day the week before we recorded this and just heard the story and just like had to get him on. So hope you enjoyed the chat. It was real as, so um, enjoy. Joshy boy, thank you so much for jumping on the Funny Business Podcast. For those at home listening, tell us who are you and what do you do? So my name's Josh Wilson. Uh, I'm the founder and CEO of a mental health app for kids called Together AI. Uh, and in my spare time, oh, no, I like to get knocked out on uh, trees down at the snow. I think I've been hurt doing every kind of like board-related sport that there is. So, I, you know, I enjoy doing that kind of stuff. I love that, brother. The snow, yeah. that's such a good hobby, I reckon, like heading down to the snow. You used to have the snowboard in the room, didn't you, next to the surfboard? No, well, I actually, yeah, I've done a season over in Canada, Josh, and honestly, that experience, I didn't know how to snowboard before that, but just that whole like, party scene and just like working on the mountain and that like it's just good fun isn't it it's so loose yeah i know man i um i never worked down there but i had a lot of uh a lot of mates that went down there and they kind of come back wearing beanies like yours mate the tie-dye well it was pretty pretty spiritual experience for a lot of them oh mate well i love how we met because we actually went up to sydney last week and we headed to the uh founder breakfast at Fishburners, and brendan your mate actually introduced us at demo day and just said you got to meet this bloke, Josh. He's just doing some some cool shit. I feel like you get along. So obviously, me and you at start, mate, and hearing about all the awesome shit that you're up to and, and what you've been through, it was uh, an awesome night, wasn't it? Yeah, it was good to connect. Yeah. The DJ was the highlight, I think. It was going off, wasn't it? There, <laughs> as soon as you're walking in. Was I wasn't fun. ready. I wasn't ready. Personally, I wasn't ready for <laughs> full experience, but hey, happy, happy to it, be there. It was a full moon that night though, wasn't it, Josh? It was a full moon. I did hear about that actually. A bit of a, a bit of a lunar event, I heard. I, there was some footage floating around as well, but <laughs> who knows exactly who was involved in uh in the lunar episode. I'm not sure. Could have been anyone's ass. Well, mate, take us back. Uh, Locke, Locke's got a new question we're asking all our guests yeah, now. Yeah, is, yeah. is around like, where did you grow up? How did you grow up? Take us back early. Early, yeah, Josh. Early. Early. Well, man, I grew up in Campbelltown, southwest Sydney. Uh, I don't know. Everyone, whenever you say Campbelltown to people that live in Sydney, everyone's like, it's a real rough area. Um, and I suppose it kind of is. But growing up there, like, you didn't really know that it was rough. Um it was good, man. It was like super multicultural. Um, I grew up like going to church and stuff. So the church I went to was like a real mix of people. Lots of like Pacific Islander, a lot of Vietnamese, a lot of like Lebanese, a lot of like there was not, I was like one of maybe five white people running around in the whole thing. And so I don't know, just being a young bloke, like getting to mix with a lot of people, we didn't have heaps, but like no one else knew that you didn't have heaps. You just like hang out, share stuff, kick the footy around. Um had like pretty tight family down there as well. So all of my, uh, I think my family had a bit of a pen shot of having babies real young. <laughs> I think mum broke a record when she had me at like 24. <laughs> like, smashed the record for being like the oldest person in like three generations to have a baby that late. Um, and so I had a lot of like grandparents and aunties and uncles. I was the first, uh, I guess, like kid out of like my mum's siblings group. Um, but yeah, I just grew up with like lots of family around and then 
when I was about 10, we moved down to Barrow, which is a bit more posh uh, out in the country. Um, and, yeah, man, I don't know, it was, like, really different. I didn't hear a swear word at school until I moved to Barrow. Um, and everyone's always really surprised when I say that because, like, Campbell Town's like a proper gronk area. <laughs> like, it's real rough. Uh, but I don't know, man. It was just, like, this real, real difference. So I think, like, uh, I enjoyed growing up in Barrow because it was, you know, kind of a nice place to grow up. But I think in my heart I've always been, like, a little bit of a, a little bit of a bogan. <laughs> I just enjoy meeting, like, people and keep life pretty simple, you know. I think that's been a pretty profound kind of influence on, like, what I've gone on to do with my life and stuff. Um, so, yeah. I love that. Did you go, what, so did you finish school and then go to university or what was the pathway for you? Yeah, I did. I finished school. Um, I did all right at school. I, like, I don't know, I was always, like, good academically, um, but, like, always in trouble for being a mischief and getting distracted and getting kicked out of class and stuff. But I did, I did pretty well with my grades. So I had a scholarship to go to Wollongong Uni uh, and I went and studied commerce and I lost the scholarship after the first semester as well because you had to be like, there was this level of attendance that was required if you're on the Dean Scholar Program uh, and it was like, you know, I had to have exemplary attendance at all the tutorials and stuff. And so they pulled me into the office at the end of the first semester. They're like, your attendance is like 13%. I was like, yeah, but I've passed everything. They're like, yeah, but, like, there's this. And, like, you know, you have a mentor as part of your program and, like, there's this placement program. I was like, oh, shit, really? I, like, I just didn't know. I was like, who's my mentor? They're like, you don't really care too much about this. I was like, not, not really. <laughs> I wanted to play footy. Uh, so that's, that's what I wanted to do then. So I ended up, like, dropping out of the scholarship one and just kind of finished off the, the rest of the degree. But then when I went to graduate, um, they weren't counting like one or two of my subjects from that first semester because I had like technically failed, even though I'd passed academically, I'd technically failed. So I actually never graduated. I just left. Yeah. Um, oh, so right. I know, man. Yeah. Uni, you I can't back and get those two, like, it's like one or two things away from that. Like, isn't it annoy you that you've paid hex or whatever? And I, you're like, Hey, it annoys my mum a lot more than it annoys me. I think. Yeah. <laughs> like I think my, I think between the other two brothers, there's five degrees, right? So like, averaging out we've all got at least one degree even though i didn't actually earn it <laughs> i don't know man like because it was one of those things like i'd done like the the commerce part of it they're like you just need to come back and do these credit points to go back and do like creative writing 101 i was like i just don't really see the the point you know what i mean like and i was moving to sydney at that point was, you know maybe i look at it online and then it was like 10 years later i, was, I just never went back and and did it so yeah where did, where did startup start for you? Because you just said like a bit mischievous, a bit like breaking the rules a little bit. Like where was that sort of first hit of like, oh, this is what I should be doing? I don't know, man. Like for me, sport was always my big thing growing up. Like I grew up playing basketball and league and union and that. And um, I guess like I always had it in my head that I would try and like crack it playing, playing footy. Uh, and then obviously when that, didn't happen pretty early on, just to a profound lack of skill. Um, I was like, well, I'm going to have to <laughs> look at something else. I just always found, I had a mate actually who was, um, he was studying like mathematics at Sydney Uni and we'd gone to school together uh, and he started working at this venture capital firm, just like interning. Um, and he would talk to me about all these businesses and stuff that he was seeing. I was like, oh, that's pretty sick. And so um, the first... 
the first time I ever kind of sat down and was like, maybe like this is something that I would actually look at was when I actually had the first idea for Stat Edge, uh, which was my sports tech business because I was playing footy kind of still at a decent-ish level and there was no kind of coaching tools for anything going on there. So I had this idea for an app and we can get into it in a sec, but basically that was the first time I was like, maybe I could actually have a crack at, at doing something like that. But I guess even going back earlier, like, I think there was one assignment that actually really tried in at school in year 11. You had to kind of come up with an idea for a business as part of your, it was like your major assessment for the year and build a whole business plan around that. And I remember it was one, it wasn't even, it wasn't even work for me. I actually spent like the whole school holidays coming up with this like idea for a business that was like a local record studio for bands uh, in like the Southern Highlands area and we'd record it and like distribute it out. And I got like nailed the assignment just because I like loved it so much. And like that for me was when I kind of first had the hit of like just all the different parts that happen when you actually build a business. There's a kind of idea, but then how do you actually build it in something that's going to work? Um, and it was just super invigorating, man. It was kind of like, yeah, almost like a little light bulb moment. You kind of get that itch of it. You're like, I'd like some more of that. Like that's, that's good fun. Um, and then, yeah, it was probably, I was like, yeah, 21, 22 when, um, when I started doing it seriously. Well, Stat Edge. So that's the first thing that you that sort was. of go, I'm, I'm all in on this one. We're building this out. How did it go from an idea in your head? And like, what did you do when you had the idea? Did you write it out? Did you get some friends? Like, what was the initial seed for that? Yeah. So, yeah, as I said, like I was playing footy uh, and the whole thing there was like, when you go back, it's probably similar down in Victoria where you blokes are, where it's like kind of get your AFL. Then you've kind of got like a couple of levels underneath that. And once you drop out of being kind of in the professional, there's like the semi-professional level of it. And it's still pretty serious, right? Like people still get paid. Um, like people kind of care quite a bit about it. And at the elite level, there's like heaps of coaching and analysis platforms where you kind of drop out that other level. They're too expensive and they're too kind of time consuming to do um, if you're kind of playing in that like semi-pro grassroots level. But there's still this massive need for it. So the idea for it originally was like, how can I put something on an app? allow a coach to have someone, whether it's a parent or whether it's an assistant coach, whatever, just kind of track the key stats in a game for the players and then allow the players to kind of have that as well. Um, and, like, the first thing I did, which is kind of like the, the thing you get told later, like, don't start, there was just, like, design the whole product, right? And so I had, like, I have no, like, artistic ability, like, whatsoever, but I just kind of, like, wireframed a whole bunch of stuff out. I was talking to a mate who did a bit of development um, and he kind of looked at it and he's like, yeah, I'll build it for a hundred grand for you. Well, I don't have a hundred grand <laughs> at this stage. So that's a bit of a no-show. And it just kind of like sat with me for ages, man. At that point I was working at Combank. So I was like, I was a teller um, when I was at uni, just like part-time down the coast. And then I moved up to Sydney. Um, I don't know, man, I started like talking to more and more people. I actually worked in the branch for Combank, like in the ASX building. It's not there anymore. Um, but you're just like rolling through all these like really loaded guys and you can actually see obviously what's in their bank account because they come in for stuff. So I'd like tell them about my idea while I was working at Combank and just kind of like, I think I like asked about five or six people out for lunch, right? Just who I had no idea who they were, but they were loaded and they worked in the ASX uh, building next door. And I just kind of like started learning, like, why would you invest in something like this? What would you not invest in? Blah, blah, blah. Um, and at the same time as I was kind of working on that, um, uh, I got a little bit of a promotion. So I started like putting my own money. I found like a dev agency down in Melbourne who were going to build the first version of it for free. So I started building that out. 
So all my savings were going into that of what little savings I had. Um, I got a bit of a dodgy loan from one of the blokes at the bank there and kind of jacked up how much I was earning and I got like a personal loan out and started pumping it into that. Um, and just kind of building the, the first bit of the idea out. Um, and we just started driving around to like country rugby league clubs, like selling it to them. Um, and then before you knew it, we got picked up by like a few NRL clubs um, that wanted to use it for their like junior rep stuff and, you know, we were just kind of away at that point. Um, and then I had found someone who's going to give me 50 grand in like seed funding to jump out and do it full time. And I'd had a couple of ideas of things that CBA could do for their like branch staff and branch customers to come in um, like digitally that could be a bit better for them. So I ended up hitting up, they have like this big internal directory in ComBank. And so I ended up finding the, the lady who ran the whole retail bank for ComBank and just found her email and emailed her my ideas. I was like, I'm quitting tomorrow, but, like, I think these are some ideas that you can kind of do better uh, in in here and, like, you're the only person I can think of to give them to if they're shit. Like, you know, you'll never write back and you probably won't write back anyway even if they're good, but, you know, I'm out. Like, thanks for having me. She emailed me back and then, like, two weeks later, I think I got a job in head office. Um, like, go put some of these ideas into practice. Um, and so then I ended up, like, running this really massive digital transformation thing at ComBank whilst working on on StatEdge and ended up doing both for the next, like, year and a half. So that was pretty fortuitous. How do you manage that? Two big projects, like, I'm sure you're all in, you know, the hours in the day swallowed up. Well, also from a tech perspective too, doing mm. digital transformation projects and doing the other one from the teller and not and doing a <laughs> commerce degree. It's not like you're on the, you're on the, you're not on the keys, doing, you're not writing code. You know what yeah. I mean? No, no, thank goodness as well because I can't write code for shit. But um I don't know, man, it was just one of those things. It was just like this massive, mad, fun puzzle that was just unfolding, you know what I mean? And, like, I kind of look back at that time as, like, the best apprenticeship that I could have ever done, you know, because I was, like, working on my startup. I was, like you said, like, working with engineers for the first time, working with designers for the first time, um, you know, at the agency level, managing, like, the tiniest, crappiest little, like, startup in the whole country. And then at the same time, like, we were rolling out, like, a new app that was going to go into every single ComBank branch in the country, right? And so you're learning about risk and you're learning about compliance and all of these things that, like, are not naturally kind of at the top of mind for a lot of, like, entrepreneurs when you start out um, because you're running it in, like, the Titanic, right? Like, ComBank's one of the biggest employees in the country. There's all these things to think about. Um, and honestly, what's that saying? Like, got kissed on the dick by a fairy. Like, honestly, like, that was, I just I just did, man. I just fell into this, like, amazing situation. So I was like this weird little anomaly that had been kind of, like, plucked out of what they used to call branch land. It's like, oh, like, this kid's kind of, like, got something and he, like, has this app and, like, that's a bit unique. Like, let's just kind of throw him in and see how he goes. So, you know, I would get to have lunch with people. Like, I think I've got, like, a one-on-one -on -one lunch with the guy who's now the CEO of ComBank because um, they're like you should just meet him he's interesting um the guy who went on to be the head of digital like they were like just all like really curious and for me it's like I'm 21 22 I have no idea that this is weird I'm just like yeah here like I'll have lunch with this guy that's awesome um and then at the same time like yeah like you said just kind of like grinding away man like you know I was earning really good money at that point in time but it was all pretty much going into the app and and building it out so you're kind of still living like you know, on the bones of your ass a bit. Um, and so you've got that kind of like scarcity. And I think scarcity is like the biggest driver um, because it's like, you know, legit, like I, if this doesn't work, I will be broke. I'll be like close to bankrupt at like 22. So I just have to make it work. But it was just the best, man. Like 
I was learning from like the massive stuff. I had like a lot of amazing people who were so generous with their time. Uh, for me, I had a couple of leaders that in Combank that are like invested in the business now. Uh, and, and ironically, uh, Lynn McGrath, who was the head of the retail bank, who kind of like plucked me from obscurity, as she likes to say, is now the chair of this business, right? So like all those relationships kind of like stay and yeah, man, but it was awesome. It was awesome. Like that was, it was just so much fun. Like I learned a lot. I made every mistake under the book and more, but I also got to kind of learn a, a lot of good things, how big businesses do it, what should apply back down when you're smaller. Then also you're kind of able to shape the bigger business by kind of saying, hey, like I'm working on this really small stuff, but this way of thinking can be quite beneficial back the other way. Um, so, yeah, man, it was it was good fun. And how long did how long did you do Stat Edge for? How long, how long were you doing that for? From the time you started, like how how long was that process journey? Part of the like time. Good buzzwords there, right? Oh, yeah. Hashtag, 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 huh? You don't have a fucking question. <laughs> Just answer the fucking <laughs> I saw him reading the thesaurus before we got on here. Oh, He's like White Goodman, Josh. Yeah. Dictionaries everywhere. I looked down the barrel, huh? <laughs> um, until I blew myself up out of it, I think it was like 20. 2013, I registered it and it, it probably kind of got serious. I jumped, I left the bank to jump into it full time in 2014, late 2014, I think. Um, and then just like hustled it out. The next two years were tough, man. Like that was, it was really, really, really hard. Um, cause we kind of got picked up by the NRO and we were like wanting to, to basically get them to roll it out to everyone. Um, and that's where I learned about enterprise sales and how much of an absolute challenge that is. Um, but we managed to, again, kind of, I guess, like talk our way into some, some pretty decent contracts, digitizing a bunch of their stuff whilst we were trying to like, I guess, get our core business proposition over the line with them. Um, and so kind of from 2014 through 2015, like they were really tough. Like we nearly got it there a whole bunch of times. We had a couple of blokes in the NRL that we worked with quite closely who were really good to us. Um, but just really hard to get something like that. Nothing had ever really been done like that. The app had kind of evolved out of just being a pure kind of coaching thing into kind of more like a whole engagement platform for like your grassroots sport community. Um, and by the time, I mean, it got to the point where like we, it nearly went under like four or five times. Uh, like I had to, I'd, I'd put people in there to run it kind of like full time and, and build it out. But there would be sometimes where we'd like nearly have a contract signed and then it would fall over. Um, there'd be, you know, you're waiting on invoices to get paid like that are a month late and you're kind of paying people out of your own pocket. So kind of through 2014 and early 2015, it was like real grindy and, and really hard. And it kind of got to this point where it was safe in about mid 2015. Um, we kind of won our first big contract with them and that kind of had enough for it to keep going of its own kind of volition. And at that point I was kind of like mentally done with it. Um, so I had one of my mates in there who was running it full time. I did a bunch of work. I ended up going and consulting for a blockchain company over in New York. Um, worked basically building out like some of the first enterprise blockchain uh, stuff for fin services in like Japan, Korea and over here as well, which was epic. Um, and I'd started playing footy again because I'd been a bit of a fat shit for like the few years prior. And, um, and the bloke who was coaching at my club was a financial planner. So he was a couple of years older than me. And he had hit me up because he's like, you know, you've had your own business. Like I'm keen to do something more with my like planning business. I think there can be kind of more going on. And, and I had been working with Combank again for a couple of months on a project with them as well. 
And I just seen there was like more and more chatter with them around superannuation. I said, well, mate, if you want to do something in in financial wellness, that kind of thing, like superannuation kind of seems to be the, the place that you'd start. <clears throat> and he's like, yeah, that would be pretty cool. And he was like really, you know, all over it from kind of like that wealth and the technical side of like wealth perspective. And I was there kind of thinking about it from a product and business perspective. We went down to the pub and had a feed and had a burger and um, and we were just kind of like chatting about it. It was probably the first person that I'd met who kind of had a very similar energy to mine. It was kind of like you just don't see the inhibitions. You know that they're there, but it's like screw that. Like we're just going to go at this. And um, I sent him a message after dinner. I was like, if you're going to do something, you do like, remember Acorns, the saving app? It was raised yeah, now, yeah. I think. If you're going to do something like that, you could do like Acorns for super. He's like, that's sick. Uh, and so like the next, that night, I think I got home at like 11, 11 o'clock at night, I'm writing like this one page of like business plan for like Acorns for super. And so before you know it, by the end of like kind of uh, 20, yeah, been, that would have been kind of like early 2016, we were kind of getting started on the, on the grow adventure. So yeah, at that point it was kind of like, Statage was still running. I didn't have a heap to do it on the day-to-day because it was just kind of running. It was giving me like a nice little income without me having to do a whole lot. They would roll me out when we needed to sell new contracts. Um, so it was like starting to actually really kind of kick some goals, done the whole blockchain bit for a little go, and then Grow was kind of like starting to to take shape and it was like this new crazy adventure that was lining up. Um so yeah, man. Like that's that gets it's us to kind of like twenty sixteen, yeah, I, I guess. I think they, and as it like taking you taking on new opportunities and like going head first into things. That was the stuff that when yeah. after me and Lock chatting after meeting you, it was like you can see you're when you're interested in something, you're going to go. You're you're fully in yeah. it. Hundred percent, hundred percent, man. I just yeah, like I don't have that switch, man. Like I find it really difficult to like fake it if I'm not interested. I just. You know what I mean? And that that's across the whole board, like relationships, people. Like I'd say like um, I like to keep my circle of like people that I'm close with pretty tight because like, I'm going to invest like quite a lot into those relationships. Um, and then you kind of got that second ring of circles, like people that you're, you're friendly with. And it's like, yeah, like I'm, I'm there for you if you need me, that kind of thing. But then like outside of that, it's it's not, not um, that you don't want to know anyone. It's just more like if I'm going to be in, I'm going to be all in. I'm like that in business family like the whole thing you know what i mean and and yeah like sometimes it's i don't know like you kind of put that sporting analogy on like sometimes you got a plan of how you're going to kind of like move your opposition around to kind of crack them or whatever um but if they break in a way that you didn't expect you don't not take that opportunity because it's not part of the plan <laughs> you know what i mean like um and that that's like a real like rugby league thing like you can be running your plays you can be running your plays and like you expect them to break at point c but it's happened at point b Right now, sometimes like that can be like a false opportunity. You've got to make sure that you're not kind of overcooking your hand by pursuing something that's not there. But also if the gap is on, like go at it. Like you don't hang back and wait, um, you know, if, if that opportunity is there. Um, and then it's probably just kind of coupled with a little bit of, I don't know, man, like you've got to back yourself in, right? And, and I think for me, like not being motivated by money so much and being more motivated by like an idea is exciting and the thrill of actually like unlocking something and building something that makes it easier to not worry about failing. Um, Cause you know, like even if you try something, it doesn't work. I don't even know if that's necessarily a failure. Um, 
Well, me and Locks talk about this all the time. Yes. Is like where as like being involved and building something and like mentioning like friendship groups and inner circles and yep. just maybe just like if you're not in this space, we've found that because there's not the biggest understanding of what what is startups here in Oz. Like there's the people who are in the space really understand what's going on, but like general population don't like oh, I'm doing this. They don't know fucking idea what you're talking about. So yep. having to navigate conversations where relationships are probably still important to you. There's still stuff that's going on, but like. You mentioned sports. We always use the sports analogy. If people playing high level sports, they get out of going to parties. They get out of going things. You've got a game on Saturday. You know what I mean? Got training. Sorry, whatever. But as a business person, run a couple of businesses, got lots of things you're juggling in your life. How do you go navigating those sort of conversations with people? Is that why you keep it sort of smaller? Yeah, I mean, I would say it's probably only been in the last policings are like 28 that actually got that maturity. Um and this might get a bit too heavy for the pod, but I'd, I'd had something happen to me when I was a kid that was, like, pretty heavy. Um, and I'd always, like, dealt with, like, a bit of anxiety um, or quite a bit of anxiety, like, growing up as a as a teenager. Um, and I just found, like, whenever I was occupied, I was sweet, you know what I mean? Like, I didn't really get the anxious thoughts kind of coming into my head. And then as I got older, um, I don't know, probably around the grow time, man, like, grow was, <laughs> was, like, the first couple of years ago, like Wolf Wall Street shit, it was it was wild. Like, um, I don't know if I can talk about this on the pod, but it was like pretty. It was pretty loose, right? Like we were young, we raised a crap ton of money, we were having successes, and again, we were kind of like this really unique anomaly to a lot of people. Like everyone wanted to meet us. Everyone wanted, in 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 the superannuation space which sounds boring. Not the coolest crowd in the world, but you know, like we were we were killing it. Um, and that kind of brought out a whole bunch of behaviors in my life, like. I was raised in a family. My mum and dad don't drink at all, right? So I didn't kind of even – I learned to drink, like, playing rugby league, which is probably the worst place to do it, right? <laughs> it's, it's, again, it's kind of that all or nothing. And so for me, I was kind of at this stage for, like, probably through 2015, 16, 17, um, where I was cut loose, man. Like, I was a lunatic. Like, we were doing really, really, really well, um, like, business-wise, but at a kind of personal level – um, I was probably like deteriorating um, and, and I am like a person of faith, like my faith had kind of been a big part of like who I was growing up and all that kind of thing and I was certainly not living in any way like that at all and I kind of got to this point where in like late 2017 I was popped, I was like I just, this is not who I want to be anymore, like I'm actually really unhappy kind of carrying on like this um, and it probably took like most of 2018, I met a girl who I was like head over heels in love with, she was like just really grounded and and I wanted to be a lot better for her as well. Um, I just kind of got to that point where I was like, man, I just want to be like who I want to be. And and it's a weird thing is that like you kind of have this thing of yourself where you're like, I'm like so good. No one can tell me what to do, whatever. I'm not giving into peer pressure. I'm just like doing my own thing. And then you look back, you're like, actually, I was being exactly what people expected me to be. And I was trying to be like this version of myself that I'm actually not. Um, and a lot of that was driven from the fact that I was still running from shit that had happened to me when I was a kid, man. Like, I couldn't be at home on my own. I didn't like it. As soon as I was on my own, like, it was just kind of like, <clears throat> and like, probably, you know, aggravated by some of the other things <laughs> that I was doing as well, right? Like, just feeling anxious all the time, feeling like shit, didn't want to be alone. Um, and it just kind of got to this point. It was like, you've got to stop running from that. Um, I had to go and deal with that. So I did. Um, and I think, you know, I started going back to church and doing a whole bunch of that stuff as well. I know, man, like 
probably since like early 2019, I was like, I've, I've actually just made those decisions for myself now um, where it's like I do value my family, I do value my friends, actual meaningful friendships, you know, that I can have that aren't built around like getting blind or carrying on like an idiot, you know what I mean? Like actual meaningful things that um, have nothing to do with work. Uh, and, yeah, I don't know, I find a lot of meaning in, in that um, and that makes it easy, you know what I mean? That, that a lot of those temptations that were there for me when I was younger are just not there anymore. Um, you think so. that too, like moving forward, like you're only a young guy. So to have that happen and go through that and just seeing like knowing all the the triggers and things that might happen when you're building yeah. stuff, does that help you now with that experience? It does. I think it just gives you like that bit of perspective that like, so like, I mean, and we can go into it if you want, like the whole like static blowing up thing, which ironically happened after I'd like fully straightened everything out. Um when you go through some of those bigger things and you go through all this kind of like wild phase and again, like, man, like, like 20 something, making a shit ton of money. The company was worth like hundreds of millions of dollars. Like you're looking at it and again, it's paper money, but like my share and that thing was worth like 20 million bucks, right? At like 26, 27. And you get to this point where you kind of lose it all again in many respects. And you know, that, that should have been like the worst thing in the world. And honestly, like there's some of those times, like, that's the best thing that ever happened to me because you didn't lose everything, right? You lost some money, right? And you might have lost your your business even or where you were in that business and all that kind of stuff. Thankfully for me, I'd kind of readjusted a bunch of my life before a lot of that crazy stuff went down, which we can talk about. To kind of get to a point where it's like the things that I actually have in my life that I value, uh, again, my, my family, my faith, my friends, Right, so you get to the point where you can hit me however hard you want on any of that stuff, like money, status. Like I just don't, I just don't, I, I genuinely, it's not one of those things that you're trying to be like, I just genuinely don't care about it. You know what I mean? Um, because you hit those points where it's like rock bottom in terms of, you know, financial or whatever else. It's like I still have my family. I still have the people that love me, that I loved, that were there for me through that. I still had, you know, faith and outside of food like they're the big four right <laughs> food family faith friends for me like that's it man like if if i have that the food isn't the important one but like truly like what else do you really need everything else on that is cream um and so that helps keep me grounded i think when we were chatting up in in sydney one of the things that sort of blew me away when you were sort of explaining the, the stuff that happened and as you're going through was more just like the shock of you talk using back of sports again. It's like if if uh, players or whatever fuck up and they make news, it's like someone did this and it's in the headlines. But you don't always see headlines and have paparazzi and have things like that in this in this sense. Or like it's like I'd love to go into about like how yeah. did you cope going through that process when obviously when it all come out and there's all of a sudden there's people fucking waiting outside and they you said they found out where they where you live now. Like that's. <laughs> That's so. That's I would so have been crazy. linking my address. I reckon wearing new kits every day. You did one time at our house across the road when we were living together. There was a cops turn up and whatever, and he come out in his jocks like forty five minutes later because yeah. he knew like, all the cameras and that were out stuffed there. a few footy socks. What's down going there? on out here? What's going <laughs> yeah, on? Right. <laughs> oh man, I don't know. Look, I mean. Maybe I'll give everyone who's listening who wasn't there, uh, like, the quick rundown. So, like, uh, at this point, so this is, like, early 
when was it? Sorry, late 2019. So to kind of like set a little bit of the picture, like bro, we was doing really well. Um, it was full on, like full on. We'd scaled the business from 15 to like 85 people that year, um, which was nuts. We'd raised, I think, like $30 million by that point. Um, like we're really just starting to hit our hit our stride like really nicely. I'd quit drinking at the start of 2019. Um, I'd gone back to church at the start of 2019. So, like, I was, like, in this really good groove, like, feeling, like, super grounded, sorted my shit out. Um, yeah, I was in a pretty happy relationship. Like, I just kind of felt like I'm in, I'm in this really good spot. Um, Stadage was going well. We'd ended up winning, like, a couple of big contracts with the NRL. We'd won a big contract with Rugby Australia. Like, it was kind of, like, everything's kind of, like, lining up, you know what I mean? And, um and in September of 2019, uh, it had been repeated in front of me and a couple of other people that had worked at Grow uh, by someone who worked at StatEdge who was going to win the coach of the year that year. And we, we did the stat tracking for, for a bunch of that kind of stuff, which should obviously not have been said, but everyone kind of knew each other. The offices were right near each other. We, always, we all still used to kind of hang out together or whatever. Um, and so that night... A, bunch of us from Grove had gone to watch one of the footy games that was, I think it was like the prelim finals. So it would have been like late September. And you know, when you have like a bunch of different mates, friendship circles, you don't really know everyone. Like, you know, kind of a couple of people there, it's like this really weird mix of people. So there's a lot of people there that I didn't know. And someone there was like, oh, I'm going to bet on Des Hasler to win coach of the year. Um, at this point, bear in mind, like I'm not drinking at all. I'm like stone cold sober. I'm in like my right mind. And one of the blokes who um, had had that information repeated in front of him was like, oh, but didn't old mate say um, Craig Bellamy was going to win coach of the year? And I've looked at him like, you dickhead, like, shut up. Like, oh, how do you know that? He's like, oh, mate, his company, like, that's that's what, uh, shut up, bro. Like, that's what they that's what they do. So people have started betting on it. You know, I think he was paying like four bucks fifty. And then by the time my idiot mate was like, maybe we should put like a bet on. And I still don't know for the life of me why I did it. Like I don't really gamble. I had to download sports bet, set up the account and get in my own name. I was like, that's a really good idea. So we put a couple hundred bucks. I think by that time he's already paying like a dollar. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because it's like this real specky market, right? That no one bets on and all these lunatics I didn't even know had like put this put this thing on. Um uh, I think I put on like 500 bucks or two $500 bets, like stupid, right? And then I was walking home after the footy that night. I was like, that was real dumb. Like I should probably take those off. And because it was a real boutique market and the, and the, there'd be so much money bet on it um, in a short period of time that like you couldn't withdraw the bet. So I was like, fuck, I'm just going to have to live with that. And then like a week later, I get a call from the NRL Integrity Unit and they're like, we need to come audit um, the the StatEdge platform because someone's put like a massive ass bet on Coach of the Year. Um, and I was like, okay, you can come in and audit it whenever, but when you do, you're going to see that like I put a bet on and I think one of the boys that works for me also put a bet on as well. And I think at that point they knew, right, because they had an audit list of everyone already who had done that and they're like, yeah, just put it in writing, let us know. And like we'll go from there, and so we did that. Um, that was all in writing. Went over to the integrity unit. They were kind of like, "That's just like, don't do it again." Um, I didn't really think anything more of it. To be honest, we signed like two new contracts with them that were pretty decent sized, and I don't mean like it. Just kind of like time kept rolling past, right? Like we didn't hear anything else. It was like we've done. 
everything, like I've, I've told the truth, you know what I mean? Like there's nothing, there's kind of nothing else going on. And then in May 2020, kind of just during the COVID lockdown, like we were under the pump for grow, like the funding market was in all sorts. We'd had to close like a $30 million fund raised to like win our first Insto client like that had just gotten shot to pieces with the markets imploding and been like insanely stressful kind of rebuilding that to a point where we were literally had the deal ready to be signed that day um and I was shattered man I think I put on like 10 kilos like I like I was in all sorts it's like not healthy super stressed um things with the missus weren't good at that point in time like there's just kind of a lot of stuff going on I was like thank goodness we could kind of like close this out and kind of maybe actually take a break and it was my two-year anniversary with my now ex at that day and she was in the shower getting ready for work and she was like bang 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 on the door and there'd been these tradies working a couple of houses up and I just thought it was like people working I was like why are they working so early and they're like bang 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 and I'm lucky I'm like, oh, would you shut up like it's it's like seven in the morning didn't think anyone was knocking on the door and I kind of like wandered down there's I could see people standing out the front so I've opened the door in my boxes. I didn't put the socks in like you did, bro, but um, I should have. There's six cops standing out the front of my house, um, and they're like, you, Josh Wilson. Ah, like, oh, shit. They're like, do you have any idea what this could be about? I was like, I think so. So anyway, man, they've, like, fully searched the house. Um, they needed my phone. I recently got a new phone, so they're searching the whole house, like, for my old phone. I was like, I, I literally dropped it in the pisser, man. Like, it's not, <laughs> it's not here. They're like, yeah, like we believe you. Anyway, so they'd been tapping our phones for like six months. Um, and the cops like, look, you know, we think what you're telling us is true. We need to run through your phone to make sure that like you don't have any links to something else that's gone on. Um, and, you know, if what you're saying is true, you'll probably be charged. But basically the, the, de- the, the detective was actually good. Like, he's like, try not to be too stressed that you're not going to jail or anything like that. Like, thanks, mate. And so, yeah, I mean, that just blew up, man. Like, Went into work because um, obviously we can't kind of sign a deal if like all that stuff's about to go down. So I spent the day with our legal guy, um, just be like, you know, how are we going to basically, I'm going to have to take a step away. We'll have to write an update to the investors. Hopefully we can still kind of get it over the line, but we'll have to disclose everything. Um, had that all there ready to go. I was like, we'll send it at five o'clock. Um, and I've, as I said, it was my two-year anniversary with Makes. We were meant to be in Paris before lockdown. So I was like, I'm going to do this French-themed picnic for her at home. So I've just got to quickly go back to the shops, grab something, drop that home, and then I'll come back to the office and we'll send it out. And so I'm literally, I'm double parked outside my house and I'm holding this massive bouquet of flowers and a baguette. <laughs> I'm putting my keys in the door. And I kid you not, man, like out of the corner of my eye, seemed like someone charging at me. And I literally, I thought I was like, I know, like being robbed. I was like ready to like crack someone with a baguette. <laughs> and I turn around, there's some bloke with a camera and this reporter and it was Channel 9 and they'd just been out the front of my house all day waiting for me to come home. And she's kind of jumped out. She's like, what made you think you put like a $10,000 bet on and get away with it and put a $10,000 bet on, you know what I mean? Like I put on this. But that turns out what the cops were interested in was someone had completely unrelated to us put on this massive ass bet and that's why they had had to investigate it. Um and yeah, man, like that's how everyone found out. Like my whole family, it was like the number one story on the East Coast, like national news everywhere. There's like my mug up there, and she's just doorstop me, you know what I mean? And then like it's in the paper. I think we had one of our biggest investors was IWF, which is like one of the biggest wealth managers in the in the country, and they'd had like this massive 
massive running brawl with this business journal at the Sydney Morning Herald during the Royal Commission earlier. And so she's seen grow super. She's done like a company search, seen IWF for an investor. And so like the headline in Sydney Morning Herald business the next day was like IWF embroiled in Dalian betting scandal. Like it was just, it was going wild. Like it was in every newspaper. It was all over the TV for like days. And I remember I was like waking up at like four in the morning. I was like, we got to get out of here. Like this is insane. Like before they rocked back up at the house. So me and the missus like jumped in the car, went down to my parents, down in Barrow. And just like hit out there for like two, three days. And I was like getting peppered, like my phone was going off, the journos everywhere. Um, it was just wild, man. Ended up getting a mate to come in and help me. He'd done like a bunch of PR communication stuff. And everyone at that point thought I'd put on the 10 grand bet. Um, and it like it just wasn't it just wasn't true. So I think a week later I got like arrested and the the, the cops just sent like the arrest sheet to my to my lawyer and thankfully that had the facts in it where they said like, yeah, like he fully told the NRL everything was two small bets, whatever, but the media was still kind of going nuts. So we just started leaking like the fact sheet out to the media so that they could actually see that we weren't these kind of geniuses. We were just two dickheads who'd who'd put on this like really dumb bet. Um, And yeah, man, like that was, I mean, ended up having to go to court. Um, I ended up getting like initially convicted and then, and then thankfully, you know, the cops were pretty good about it and they kind of helped a bit on on that and on the appeal. Um, so when I appealed after the whole kind of media storm had happened, um, when I went to appeal it, the cops supported the request for appeal when I went to court. So I ended up not getting convicted. Um, and by then I'd started to get their AI anyway. But, yeah, man, like that was kind of like between May and December when it had all kind of like wrapped up. Um, it was pretty hectic, but it was also in many ways, like kind of the best period of my life because I just got to completely, I was the weird one because you kind of in this amazing like pressure cooker of grow, then the pressure cooker of that. And then as soon as you get to this point where it's going to be okay, but you can't start working again until the process has kind of run out, there's very few times where you just get to be like complete. there's just no pressure. There's nothing to do. Like I literally was kind of for the first time in my life forced to just do nothing for a little bit. And even though like I spent hundreds of thousands of dollars on legal fees and and I went sorting out like other stuff. I had to sell Stat Edge. I ended up losing all my shares in Grow, um, at least on paper. Um, so, yeah, I'd lost like 25 million bucks. Um, it was also like this really kind of sanguine period where I was just like, okay, cool. Like, like I said before, like I've still got my family, my faith, my friends. Um, I've still got ideas. Um, and as long as I can get out of this not having a conviction, then I'll be able to go again and. And that was that man, and it all and it all kind of worked out. Um, but yeah, it was pretty hectic. It was pretty hectic at the time. But yeah, did you have many people around you when you're going through that to support and, and bounce off? Because no doubt your mind would have been racing. Like you wouldn't be getting much sleep. I'm sitting here oh. thinking about it now, going, oh, I'd be fight or flight. I'm very flight. Especially, you know, especially when you find the story that they want to that they know yeah. is going to drive the clicks, and they're going to drive the fuck out of it because that's yeah. how it works. You know what I mean? They saw that, yeah. and then yeah. obviously finding it attached to something else, like that's going to get headlines, that's going to get clicks, let's just fucking grind this bloke. You know, they don't care yeah, about you. They're just going to mint you. Yeah. Well, it was an interesting one, man. I mean, when the the guy that I actually had helping me out on the PR side of it, once we were able to get our story out there, um, and and the police facts helped me. Like the police facts were like, yeah, like he went out of his way to help. He's been honest. The only way we were able to do this is because like they basically admitted to admitted to doing it um 
which we did because they otherwise probably wouldn't have been able to charge us. You could have seen that we put the bed on, but proving that it was actually inside information was like this whole other jump that we had because we'd kind of put ourselves in. And once we did that, the journos did start giving us a much better break. So if you look at kind of the stories at the very beginning and the ones where we're going to court and stuff, they're actually really sympathetic. And, and off camera as well, a bunch of them were actually quite nice about it. Um, and we're kind of like, you know, doing what they could to present it in a, in a more fair light. But yeah, at the start, man, he was getting, he was getting absolutely belted. Right. Um, and I, like for me, it put a lot into perspective when you read the news, like there's always an angle. There's always like a story. There's always, there's always something going on. And, and again, like in that case, like we've done the wrong thing and like we deserve to get a bit jammed. Um, like hundred percent, like you can't, you can't step into the boxing ring and then whinge when you get punched in the head, right? Like we've done something stupid. You've got to pay the piper for that. Was it disproportionate to what we'd done in some ways? Yes. But at the same time, man, like, yeah, I was young and I was dumb, but I was like 27. I was in charge of a company that employed like nearly a hundred people. My other company, like we looked after stuff with the NRL. We looked after stuff with rugby. Like I was in a very privileged position and I knew better. And so, like, was it disproportionate? Like, in some ways, yes, but in other ways, not really. And so you just got to kind of got to cop it. And so I think to come back to your question, yeah, I had, like, the right people around me um, and, and that was, like, really meaningful. Again, like, my, my family and then, and then like, some of my really close friends and, and, and I guess the people whose opinions actually really mattered to me I had um, in my corner. And I think the other thing was that, like, kind of one of those things is if a bad thing is going to happen to you, you kind of want to get to the worst case scenario as quickly as possible. And for me, it was like, well, I told the truth the whole way along here. There's nothing more to find out. Right. And in some ways it's only upside from here because the more that the truth is kind of coming out, the more people say, yeah, you did a dumb thing, but like you never tried to hide it. You didn't lie about it. Um, and you kind of get to this, but like how much more can you kick a dead horse? Right. Like, okay. Like they did something dumb. They owned it. They kind of threw themselves under the bus with it like what what more is there to say um and so that kind of helped and the biggest thing for me was like not getting the conviction um because if i got the conviction it's like that's going to really curtail my ability to like start a company again um you could still do it but it would make it a lot harder there were some like super stressful times um as part of it for sure but i think on the whole i think there was like one day where i had like this big thing of sleeping pills and it was like a really stressful day because i had there was some messiness in i, I guess kind of like offloading strategy as well like shareholders were pretty pissed about that and fair enough um and i remember looking at these things and i was like i wonder how many of these i would need to take to like just not wake up and i was like oh that's like a really fucked up thought and like in the bin because <laughs> i can sleep like you know if it's a sport that australia ever needs representing in like i'll sleep for australia you know what i mean so they weren't even mine but i'd literally kind of gone through my missus thing like looking for them i was holding them in my hands sitting on the stairs I was like nah this fuck like put them in the bin like pull yourself together it's going to be all right. And, and from there, I think like that was the low point that you just kind of like push up off that one. Well, well um, fast forward us now to, to get to, to get that AI. How did that start? And then tell us about for people that listen and what's that all about? Yeah. So I guess that was born out of like, I guess like the confluence of all this stuff, right? Like um, I guess kind of after like August of 2020, when I knew that basically from there, I was like, I had a pretty good feeling about being able to get through the thing and not be convicted. Um, I knew that I'd probably get convicted on the first one, but I, I felt pretty good about kind of being able to appeal it. Um, and so I was like, okay, like I'm going to have a break for a couple of months and I'm going to start working on whatever it is that I'm going to 
that I'm going to do next. And and for me, I wanted to do something that I don't mean like kids' mental health. Like I've been through some of that some of that stuff myself. Um, I wanted it to still be like a really good and interesting business. So it was kind of like combining those two things and and putting them together. Um, and so for me, as I was kind of like, I had a lot of time to read, <laughs> right? Which I love to, I love reading anyway. So I was just like reading studies, man, and looking at the data and it's kind of like, you've got like deteriorating quality of kids' mental health. You've got increased incidences, like as a percentage of the population, more of them are experiencing decreasing quality of mental health. You've got proliferation of digital at younger and younger age groups. Um, and then you've also got like this really cruel one, which is that parents, like with all of that kind of, crap vortex happening parents actually feel less confident about either talking to or guiding their, their kids through this stuff right and so bundle all that together I was like, that, that's a really big problem like kids are suffering parents are really feeling confident or equipped to actually help them navigate like that whole journey and if you put it into this kind of like broader picture of how we treat mental health at the moment most of the funding and most of the ways that we kind of talk about mental health is very much focused on like that end stage treatment Right, so you kind of go like, I'm fine or I need to speak to a psychologist, right? And what that does is be the equivalent of like every kid that falls off a bike wearing a helmet, right? You book them in with a neurosurgeon. It's an inappropriate form of treatment unless they've actually got a serious brain injury, right? And if you're treating everyone like that, you're actually going to make it really expensive to access what's already an expensive resource because it's a pretty finite resource, you know, make it more difficult for people who really need that resource to access it. Um, and if less people can access that, people who might actually be okay if they got a more appropriate form of treatment earlier may end up in that book anyway, <laughs> needlessly, because they've gone so long waiting to kind of get in there. And so I really wanted to play in that kind of prevention and early intervention space. And so I guess like, yeah, the genesis put together, I was like, how can we build something that's built around what the kids actually need? Um, a digital companion that they can talk to about things that they're thinking, feeling and experiencing and then help them and then their parents, I guess, is kind of like a secondary thing, actually navigate whatever it is that's going on. So that could be themselves serving through the app. That could be connecting them with a non-clinical human counsellor if they need it, which is where we cut off, or it could be triaging them out to a out to a clinical site. But if you look at the data as a percentage of population, most people will actually be better off getting something that's a, a less intense kind of intervention earlier than kind of waiting down to kind of see a psych. So that that's kind of I guess like what we wanted to do with with that business. Um and so yeah man, like I think I got what was it? I got convicted in November, but then I had my appeal set for February. But we were feeling pretty good about the appeal. So I started raising the money for it then and and again thankfully I guess because of how I'd been able to kind of conduct myself with that. Um, most of my investors from Grow ended up kind of backing me with the seed money. So I think I started asking people for money the last week of November. And then on the 23rd of December, we had like 1.2 mil in the bank of seed funding and, and we were off. And I was like, just disclaimer, like I may not be able to be on the board. <laughs> but if I can't, my brother will sit on it for me. Uh, but, you know, people didn't really care so much about that at that point. Uh, and then in February I went and, and the conviction was appealed, but by then we were already kind of like, you know, six weeks into, into having the team working on it. And, and that was that. Man, I love that. The connections you may form, you, you must form, must be so strong, you know, like for, to go through stuff like that and you being so open and transparent when it, when it happened, does that sort of give faith for those people to be like, well, he's not, he's not hiding anything. He's, he's been open about 
his his mistakes and stuff like that. Yeah, I think so, man. I mean, like, yeah, I, I think so. Like, there's a level of like, um, there's a level of I don't know if acceptance is the right word, but maybe it is. There's a, there's a level of yeah acceptance when I've always people know I won't lie. Right, like I will negotiate really hard on something, but kind of like it's that same with what we're saying with that kind of like all in before. Like I really struggled to lie, um, and and so like the whole way through, people were kind of able to see that like yeah, I'll go in and fight for like the best deal if it's kind of in a business sense. But I'm not going to lie to you, um, and I guess there's just that kind of like level of integrity. So again, when you kind of go through that. It was like you've done something really stupid, but the whole way through you've owned it. And if anything, this has only happened because you've really tried to own it. Um, and I had a lot of people saying, like, "Why did you admit?" <laughs> to, I think that to was me at start. Mate, I, was, yeah, like, right? you said <laughs> I was like, "Yeah, I know," but like, it just didn't feel like the right thing to to kind of do. And so I think that helped, man, because it's like people know, like, if you give me money to invest in in my business, like, I take that really seriously. Um, and so. And people know that, like, I always hit it, whatever it is that we're doing, like, as hard as I can, can and 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 give it kind of full effort. Um, and I don't know, man. Yeah, like, it was just, I really appreciate all the support that I had from a lot of people, um, you know, to to go again, um, especially given the circumstances at the time. Well, Benny come across too. You know, he was mentioned he was working with you at the other, yeah. and like to have people actually come across and help you build out. A new thing that must feel cool too you know 100 percent, man yeah and i mean like some of those boys like and girls like you know um this some of them it's like they've really only worked with me like their whole careers you know what i mean and so to have that kind of like relationship where you can see them growing and starting to flourish and just the transition you know there's one of them um joel who who uh works at uh, running product for us now like when he studies like this 21 year old kid he wasn't confident he didn't really you know he just didn't have his kind of wits about him whereas now he's like kind of like one of the main men and and yeah those kind of things are cool to see man where you can kind of see like you, you had a little bit of a role in kind of someone building that and having that confidence to just kind of you know and one day I think they'll go out and spread their own wings man and they'll, they'll do their own startups and you know like that'll be that'll be cool to see them do that yeah what about some of the common trends about like scaling yeah. across these different yeah. things you've had with all this stuff, regardless of what stuff's going on? You had a lot company of was called fucking grow. You you had know? Three, yeah. <laughs> three, three, things, three things you've done and done well. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. What is it yeah. that you, what is it about scaling? What is it about the growth stuff that you think you're good at and what could people learn from? What are some of the things that you've done well? Um, the most important thing with scaling is to get your people right, man. Like, and I would say that's that's a learned lesson out of doing some of it well and some of it not. Um, at the end of the day, a company is the people in the company, right? So you can have a really good idea, but if you don't have the team that can actually execute it and you don't have like a shared vision and a shared I think the word culture gets like way overused. I think it means a lot of different things to different people. But if, if I kind of talk about culture as a framework for cohesion, right, unless we have a shared way that we're going to disagree because a lot of the time we will, if we don't have a shared way that we can kind of say, maybe I don't even like this person that much, but I can respect what it is that you bring to the table. I'm going to find a way to work with you. If you don't really build that, and have that shared vision that I can kind of put aside like 
my ego and myself to kind of come to the table and work as a cohesive unit, you will not scale. You will not scale. And and I think for mine, like, um, it feels kind of weird talking about it in the third person, but I think, like, the biggest leadership strength, I guess, that I have in that is empathy. Like, I actually do give a shit about everyone that works with me. Um, and and, and at, t- at times probably too much. There's probably been times where I've been too deferential to not wanting to kind of upset people or – and sometimes I make the call to cut people and I can see that it's not working. Um, and you get to a point where it's like I, I actually need to, for the sake of the team, like cut this person, you know, from the, from the team to kind of make this work. But if you don't have cohesion, you don't have a shared vision and you don't bring in the right people and, and put them into that framework, like you cannot scale. Um, and so I think like with, with Grow, we did that at times really, really, really well. And at times, you know, there were, there were probably two or three times where I hired people like, I really like you. I can see your potential to do this job, but you're not going to be able to do it in this organism and, and in terms of how it's evolving. And I should have cut it kind of a lot, a lot sooner. So you've got to be, you've got to be ruthless about making sure that the team is, is not kind of, you know, being affected by by the actions of an individual. Um, and I guess like the final thing with that that's kind of related is, um, you know, you hear a lot of startups and a lot of companies kind of talk about like, oh, you know, we only hire A graders and that, that's absolute bullshit. Like there is no way that you can actually hire like A graders or there's not enough of them, right? And I, like I'm a massive MBA nut, right? So like I love, you know, when they kind of build their teams over there, it's like they've you've got on your team to, to win a championship, you need at least one, probably two all-stars, right? And they're just better than other people on the team in terms of their individual prowess and their individual ability. And, and, and it, you build teams around them. But an individual superstar and even like one or two superstars without the right people around them that complement the strategy that you're looking to implement will not win. You know what I mean? They might play really good looking ball, but they won't win. Um, and so being able to bring in like role players to your organization, so actually your role is like super valuable. I don't need you to go out and be doing what an all-star needs to do but we need to find a way to integrate you into a system that is going to allow that all-star and and the rest of us to work together to bring us all to where we want to go, which is to win, right? Like if we can't do that, there's, there's no kind of point playing. Um, and and I think that like when I kind of look at teams, there, there will be sometimes like I can look back at Grow and say if we didn't have two or three specific individuals in there, we could have had everyone else and we would have got nowhere. Um, so, again, it kind of comes down to like the start of the pod when you see like the right opportunity or the right person. Sometimes it's kind of like I'm going to make my bet on that um, and build the rest around them, right, uh, rather than trying to, I don't know, hold true to some like weird ethos that doesn't kind of like stack up in reality. If you've got the right people, like build it around them. Man, I think yeah. this is something that a lot of people are getting, are getting wrong in like talent recruitment and finding and building a team. Like people aren't thinking people are like thinking of them as players. They're building a team of people who are going yeah. to work together. They're like, oh, let's – just scan a bunch of CVs and go and interview them and like, but then no one's actually thinking, is that person going to work with that person? They're going to actually have to sit together yes. or they're going to do something. Are they going to actually take feedback? Does that actually work? Are they going to be That's good right. enough? Do we need that? But again, like I just, that, sports is such a good analogy, isn't it? Because it, people it, get it, yeah, yeah, yeah. when people get it, they yeah. get it. But other people it's like, Oh, you can't use sports. But for me, like sports is that example. We've used so many times of like, Doing talent and we're doing ways of working stuff. Dennis Pagan, I just watched your podcast and he had uh he said honey in one hand and vinegar in the other, and it's just what yeah. one to give the people. Do they need a smack 100%. or do they need some encouragement? You know, hundred percent. And some people love it, right? Some people, yeah, he lo- lo- loves to smack. Uh, some people <laughs> like 
like I have, I have guys that work for me, and I remember like uh, my my chief technology officer now is like this real like proper pommy grumpy bastard, right? Really good, really good kid. But he has ripped me a new one at times where he's like, you should be getting up me. Like I have stuffed up and you have not come down on me hard enough. Like he wants the, that. He wants the fire and brimstone because like it motivates him. Like, he Sometimes he wants to be called out in front of people because like that gives him that kind of competitive job, like screw, I'm going to prove you wrong. Um, and then there's other people. It's like if you did that, mate, they'd, they'd just be eviscerated. You know what I mean? And they, like you said, like they need the carrot, they need, they need the honey and, and you've got to kind of like mold them along. Um, I think like that and the whole idea, like you hear a lot of the startups now, like, oh, we're a family. And it's like, it's a really nice idea. And there's definitely things that you can bring in from that in terms of like respect and communication, all things that you would see in a family. But this is not a family, right? Because if we don't get where we're going to go, it will cease to exist anymore. And a family can survive independent of, of pretty much all that. A business cannot. Like if we are not doing what we've got to do to survive, like we won't, we won't be here. And so that's going to mean that like, how we choose who's still here and who's not here is actually going to be dictated by the survival of. come out a bit at the moment. The yeah. last like six nine months with all the changes and like wave of redundancies, less funding. It's like all these dreams that people were selling based on like the crazy perks and work hours, yep. and there could be way more staff than you actually needed because you could hide them and you didn't have to worry about that stuff. And then it's like that fantasy land that everyone lived in for a little while, but all the energy got sucked up, and it's like this is a real world. 100%. And it's such a wank because the thing is, right, like if I'm in a family, right, with my family, I share everything. If my brother needs something, like then you have that, like mum and dad, you need like like whatever it is, right? What type of family has something where like one person owns like 60% of the family and everyone else owns like 0.25%? Like, pull your head and it's not a family, right? Like, are you going to be splitting that like 150 ways when you get to, like, no, and that's fine. You know what I mean? You've started something, you've taken a risk, you've built that. But this whole like, Mate, like there's two things that really annoy me with that is like that whole kind of like virtue signaling around like the perks and, and like this kind of idea. And, and I find it quite rapacious because you are selling people on something that doesn't exist because as a founder, the first thing you're going to do if you need to, and we've seen this right now in this climate, is cut people if you have to. Right? Families don't cut people like that. Right? <laughs> and the second thing is this kind of like founder messiah worship. Like founders are not infallible. Founders make dumb decisions like all the time and I think there's like you do I do see it a little bit more like there's this weird kind of like worship of like certain VCs and and certain founders I just kind of find like it's all a bit you know what I mean I it's just dumb it's yeah that 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 part of I can find like a bit wanky and at the end of the day that person will cut you like that if if they're worried about their about their business no matter what they've told you and sold you before like you said it's a weird industry sometimes, isn't it? This space, yeah. It's a bit weird. It's yeah. tricky because it's like it's not that big. It's not that big, but you, you because this is the thing, man. Like, it sounds like I'm just shitting on everyone. I don't mean it in that way, but you tend to get like very liberal people running your funds, right? And like, let's be real, most of the funds for VC money come either from family office or superannuation funds, and most of the superannuation funds are the industry funds, and they tend to be more progressive in their kind of agendas, right? So you've got a lot of liberal people who have these kind of like I'd say like these this weird kind of like modern socialist thing where it's like I want to live in Mossman or Bondi or Paran or Turak, but I also am a socialist. Like I don't really get that. And it's like I am a partner at, a, at an $800 million fund that's taking 2% a year, getting paid out the ass. And I'm actually 
investing in businesses who are probably the most aggressively capitalist like models, right? The whole point of VC is to return the fund. You know what I mean? Like it's the, the power law of the J curve, like whatever you want to call it. So you are actually encouraging you to take Silicon Valley aggressively rapacious and at times I think insidious business practices, right? To grow, 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 grow at all costs, like at all costs funded by like liberal socialists who want to kind of talk about like more equality and more all this kind of thing. It's like the businesses that you're investing in, the, the behaviours that you're encouraging are like violently, <laughs> violently capitalist. You know what I mean? So I just find like that tension, like really, really weird. You know what I mean? Uh, I, we're, I, here, we're here in your bro. Yeah. This is something that we talked about <laughs> last few years. We talked about like conscious capitalism and like different ways of doing business. But like for me, as like looking at this and like dipping our toes in over the last few years and doing the pod now for like the last three, meeting all these people, sort of seeing how how it works, how it operates, like it's a bit weird because of exactly <laughs> that. That's the thing that blows my mind is like they, they're they happy to, sometimes it's almost like they're happy to avoid bringing certain topics up in conversation like this because yeah. it's easier to do the virtual, signal, virtual signaling because they think it's going to get the better press or the better something. And for me, like yeah. that's not authentic. But when you think about the types of, like how much money and some of the values that are attached to these things. It's like, well, who's going to fucking say dick? No one's going to say anything. 100%. No one will. No one will. Because you can't. Because like even thing, if you like, work there and you, you believe can't. it, you might have a percentage. You might have some. Yeah, <laughs> right. ESOP, that's, right. You know? <laughs> that's right. But this is the thing, man. And and this is the thing. Like it's an inherently capitalist thing because it comes back down to like my financial like outcome is dependent on that. And actually that matters to me more. I might go out and say this kind of stuff. And it's like Nike with the whole like um, Black Lives Matter thing. It's like you only started taking a stance on this when you thought you could make money. Like you literally made million billions of black athletes before that kind of thing. You built your shoes in Asian countries where like there was well-documented, like terrible, like atrocious, like working conditions that you literally like commercial rate basically and now that you think you can make money of it, we better take a social stand and start lecturing everyone. Like, did you just realize in 2020 that like there was like a race problem in America that we didn't <laughs> like wake up from? And I just find that there's this, there's this weird tension in like a lot of this stuff where, I don't know, man, I just find like a lot of, yeah, that virtue signaling when it's like there's clearly like a financial incentive for you to do so, it's just distasteful. Like if you have a position on something like back in. You don't always see back a house though, do you? You know, you always see in front of house what's going on, but you don't always see back house. It's like the suicide nets at the Apple stuff in China and that. And you're like, yeah, I remember learning about that at uni and that was just like, I couldn't believe that was happening. 100%. That they had suicide nets at the at the workers' place in China. So when they're doing their 14 hour shifts and 18 hour shifts, they don't they don't the jump, fuck? they don't jump at the fucking building and have to clean up after yeah. them. Like that's bonkers. Yeah, that's a real thing. Just so yeah. we keep using phones and stuff. It's like the blood oh, is like really heavy on the pavement, man. That's yeah, yeah, like I don't want to clean that. That's gonna be someone else's yeah, job, and then right. when they don't want to clean it anymore, they just have to jump off. It's a vicious <laughs> cycle. That's right. It's this vicious, vicious cycle. Hey, it's well, probably a good. Happen. It's probably a good segue though. Actually, like on the a question we ask all the guests is a bit of a mental health one. So it's like we're joking, but it's like you're obviously working in, in mental health. And um, the question we ask all the guests is, what do you do to get some energy back in your life when you're feeling like you need it? Um, Look, I'm, like, routine is pretty big for me. So, like, I like to get up, like, pretty early in the morning, which means I go to bed, like, pretty early at night. Um, I like to, after getting, like, so fat on the last one, I like to make sure that I, like, actually do get exercise. So, 
either do um, uh, gym or Krav Maga like every morning. Um, and then, I don't know, man, like I think I just became a lot better at setting boundaries. You know what I mean? Like bro absorbed my whole life. It was, it was everything, you know what I mean? At the detriment of like, I think like relationships, like physical health, mental health, the whole thing. Um, and you think it's like the most important thing in the world. And so when I was kind of coming back in with this one, it's kind of like I'm actually going to set boundaries like, this is not who I am. It's what I do at the moment. I'm really passionate about it, but it kind of happens between this hour and this hour. I try to limit my screen time. Um, like try to stay off my phone as much as I can. I read a lot. I had a place down in Jarvis Bay. So I try to get down there, spend time with like the people I actually really want to spend time with. Said my faith is kind of a big thing for me. Just that, that routine prioritizing like the actual important things. Um, I don't know, man. Like I think one of the, disturbing things that I see in like our society generally and I think some of the big drivers for like poor mental health are like relativism so like constantly comparing ourselves to other people right and this hyper 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 individualism right and we tend to frame everything that we're experiencing through our own experiences and like use that as like the starting the starting almost like framework to assess everything else um, and I don't think like humanity has been like that for all that long. And I think that is a big reason why we see so many people that are upset because like we spend so much time thinking about like, well, how do I feel about this? How do I, have I been upset or offended or, or traumatized or like microaggressed or, you know, whatever it is. And we spend so much time kind of thinking about that. And there is a difference between facts and, and feelings, you know what I mean? And so I think the more time that we can spend actually trying to do things that are productive, helping other people, we're not just sitting around thinking about how I feel the whole time you'll realize that you will actually feel better <laughs> like being out there being productive and i yeah i think so much of our human experience is relational so if you can actually make the time to invest in those relationships that matter to you whether they're romantic family friends like whatever um i just think you just have less time to be I know for me, for me, that's like a big thing, you know, finding, finding really positive things to invest my time in that aren't necessarily always about me, I think is like a really key thing for just keeping it level because it puts things into perspective. Um, I love that. And, and a lot of yeah. people you can, you, we're around some people and all they do is talk about the bad things and the negative things and stuff like that. And it's hard to, like we say it all the time, it's like action, like it's good that you, you can be vulnerable and get it all out there and stuff, but it's like, what's the next step? What's going to make you feel good instead of thinking about all the negative things? Like, go do the thing that will make you feel good, you know? 100%. 100%, man. And, and, and like, yeah, you've got to move. You've got to move. You can sit, we can sit here yeah. and, and be sad about it all day. But the other thing is, man, we live in Australia. For goodness sake, like, I'm sorry, like, there are literally children living on rubbish heaps in Africa right now, like scrounging through a tip trying to find something to eat. The government will pay you here to not do anything. Right now, I have full cement. I'm happily, I'm not good at paying my taxes on time, but I'm happy to pay those taxes, right? To have anyone that legitimately cannot work for physical, mental health reasons, like if you legitimately cannot get out of bed and support yourself, like tax, happy, like out you go. If you can't be fucked, man, swap with someone because... We are, we, are, we are the luckiest country in the whole world, man. I would not want to live in America permanently. I would not want to live in, like, we have everything, man. And if you can't appreciate the fact that you literally, like, kissed on the dick by a fairy just by being born here, like, you, 
I, I do. I find it. It's not. It, I, I have empathy for a lot of stuff that people go through, but at the same time, like, I just don't think we put it into perspective enough. Just how lucky we are to to live in a country where you can literally go out and we have so much opportunity, so much safety, so much everything. Like, you know, unless you're in like a seriously deteriorated position through no fault of your own, like. To your point, like this, get up and move, man. Like you can sit here, we can wallow, or we can go. And 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 it's not about feeling good. And I think that's like the biggest false myth that we have. You're not always going to feel good, but life isn't about feeling good 100 of the time, right? We we got to we've got to move and like taking those steps towards it. Like get on the journey, get on the road, and like it will piece itself together. Um, but if we sit here, like. <laughs> Yeah. It's about feeling all the things, isn't it? Like the the bad times and the good times. And then that, that as you mature and grow, that is experience. You know, you go through, you might make a few twists and turns. Like no one's exempt from that, you know? Like everyone's got their own version of like hard. It's just like going up and doing it again, you know? I was just saying, you remember your article you wrote about uh, all we are is self-awareness? Yeah, I watched stuff. the documentary and, uh, yeah, I went pretty far down the rabbit hole there. That was good. It's true. It's, it's like, <laughs> yeah, well. Locke's you know. like, one of the reasons that Locke and I connected in the first place because he's always sort of beat to the sound of his own drum. And, like, I think that some of the stuff that how you approach life and I, I for someone who I hear on your story around having anxiety and been through different stuff, my, mine, no, no concept of what yours is, but everyone goes through their own shit and, I think that one of the things I've learned a lot from Locke is just to approach that. And they're like, it's okay to feel shit. It's okay to feel good. Mm. And it's like, that's life. You know, like you just. Yeah. yeah. Well, and that's where you can get like, even us, like you can numb yourself to feelings and try and hide away and yeah. shy away, but like actually feeling them things and, and moving through it. Cause that's the only way you get through, isn't it? It's just by addressing, addressing them and just, and moving forward. That's it. And they get to a point, like if you've got something that is like really like a big thing and like, Again, like I can look at some of that stuff like that happened to me when I was a kid, like it massively affected my life. But that was also in part because I kept running, man. I didn't want to deal with it. And to your exact point, like you can love it, you can like party, you can this, that, whatever, to just try and be really busy with work. You can obsess in on all that stuff. Like at some point you have to turn around and you have to move on because the thing is like there's a difference between like motion and actually like progression. You know what I mean? It can look like there's a lot going on, but you know, from my, like, on the outside, like, there's a lot going on, like, business, that, and this and that, whatever. Um, but on the inside, like, in many ways, I was still, like, a 12-year-old kid, right, because I didn't want to move on. And until you actually say, like, I'm going to open that box, and it's scary as shit to open the box, but I can deal with it. It's only after that. It's like, okay, now we can move. Um, and so, like, I sit here saying, like, it's not trying to, like, lecture off the soapbox of, like, you know, if you've got something on, just move on. It's more like I speak from experience. Until you're ready to actually say, like, I'm going to deal with this and then actually move on, like, you're almost going to be stuck there. And it, and and it's worse to be stuck there. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like, if what you're saying is, like, right now what I feel is terrible, unless you want to take the action to try and move on from that point, all you are going to feel if you're not moving on from there is terrible. You know what I mean? So for my, it's kind of an easy decision when you're ready to do it, which is like, let's just start climbing up. Not going to go from zero to 10 straight away, but like one is better than zero. Oh, man, I'm, I'm a big fan of this chat. Hey, we're about halfway through the year. Yeah. What's on for the rest of the year for you? What can we look forward to seeing? Mate, hopefully, hopefully we're still here at the end of the year. You know what I mean? Like at the startup. So yeah, I think it's full on for like a lot of people, ourselves included. Um, but I know, man, like I think we're we're on the cusp of like hopefully kind of kicking into again like that scale phase of the business. 
um, which should be kind of exciting. It's it's a different it's a different beast navigating it in like this this market and stuff. But that kind of makes it fun and it's interesting and and a bit new. So yeah, hopefully, man, at the end of the year, we've got like a a crap ton of kids and families that are using the app uh, on the work side. And hopefully by the end of the year, I've found a wife. You know, that would be ideal. I'm ready. I'm ready. I reckon you I'm should ready. start applying for some shows. It's like farmer wants a wife. Yeah, I reckon. Yeah, yeah. Tech founder wants a wife. <laughs> That's going straight on Amazon Prime. Huh? Yeah, Maybe we can raffle right. it off. Dream Big Social Club launch party. Win a date with Josh Wilson. Huh? Right. Mate, that episode's going on 7 plus, like as a rerun. <laughs> <laughs> I would. I'd love to watch the behind-the-scenes edits of that one. Big Brother would be good. I reckon that'd be a good show to go. Oh, yeah, a uncut. bit of strategy. Big Brother uncut. Yeah, yeah locks dirty. <laughs> he wants to watch it at night. <laughs> anyway, mate. Thank you so much for jumping on and being yeah. so honest and open. I feel like oh. these are the these are the type of convos that make us want to do the pod. You know, like I feel like yeah. hearing the stuff that you've been through. It's so invaluable. One because you've you've worn the battle scars, but two like p- paying it forward and letting people in a little bit on what what goes in and what's it like doing what you do because it's not easy but as you said life's life's still pretty good yeah 100 man life life is good and like the the challenges make like when you get some of the wins like all the better right and you meet good people like you boys that's been mad oh love that, that. Yeah, that? we love yeah, when people say nice good. things about us so thanks, Josh. <laughs> i'll tell you what this is one of those ones where i listen back and I, I, you know, did you I, listen back? Did you listen back? Well, though? I will because you know I've been listening back. I've listened to a couple and I was messaging the other day going, look how good we Only are. Only because you're remembering all the good stuff that you were saying. You're like, actually, I speak I actually, some good you stuff. Know, I was honestly going, Locke's pretty funny sometimes. Well, I have to make it funny because sometimes you just drag it on a little yeah. bit. I know you're giving me a compliment now and I'm dragging you down, but um, it's yeah. getting too nice here on the podcast. You know? well, seriously, if you have it, you have to have liked this episode. Josh, Like that's yeah. a it's an open, real story that there's plenty of stuff going on in his life, which is... yeah. Just inter- that's an interesting story. Why else would you not listen to pod? Oh, 100%. And if you're in Melbourne, May 3rd, this Wednesday, we're having a our Dream Big uh, Social Club launch party. So if you haven't got a ticket yet, there might not be any left. So make sure you just check it out in the link. I don't know. There could be some left. There could not be. It's the hottest party in town. So And keep your eyes peeled because our website goes live and there's going to be plenty of other stuff. Do so you want to get some ha- your hands on some Dream Big Social Club merch and uh, keep up to date with all the other things that's going on? Uh, keep... Look at the button. <laughs> good call to action, Rob. I yeah, love yeah. it. You just wrap go, that up nicely. Just go do the thing. You the know, brain's listen. working, obviously, today. Isn't it's it? a yeah. good day, yeah. yeah.